Farscape Friday, episode 39. I'm Kay here with my co-host Taz. Hello. Today we'll be discussing the 17th episode of season two, The Ugly Truth. Let's get started. Welcome back. Here's a quick summary of the ugly truth. Crace has returned and Aaron, John, Stark, Zan, and Dargo meet him on Talon as he explains he wants to get rid of Talon's main cannon. However, soon after, the weapons dealer shows up and Talon fires on him. The Moyer crew gets captured and is interrogated, each telling a different version of who's responsible. Farscape's Rashomon episode. So a Rashomon episode is one that is told from multiple points of view. And this is a very common trope you see on shows across genres. And its origin is a 1950 Japanese film titled Rashomon, directed by Akira Kurosawa, who I'm just going to give a shout out to because he's one of those directors that basically defined a lot of the storytelling and film vocabulary that is still used today. Yeah, if you're interested in some really beautiful cinematography, go watch his movies. So the setup for The Ugly Truth is the murder of the Plakovian arms dealers that occurs while most of the crew is aboard Talon. And we, the audience, have the opening kind of, we have the initial setup that we get to see on on Talon with Crace, and then we see Chiana and Rigel observing what happens from the exterior viewpoint from Moya. So we are going through this journey with the Placavians who capture the mothership comes and captures the crew as they're fleeing and Talon and Crace escape because they want to know who killed their people. And that's the setup. It's a really good episode. And there's two things about it. One is that the episode itself and the content of it is kind of dark. Like they're trying to figure out what's going on. There's crews in danger. The implications for Talon are kind of dark. Crace is back. No one knows who to, whether to trust him or not. But on the other hand, we get to see all these versions of events and the range that the actors bring to it from a viewing experience as an audience. It's a really fun episode to see the different characters' personalities play out in their different versions of events. Yeah, and I think one of the interesting things is that you, especially with a lot of like Rashomon episodes, you're supposed to believe that everybody is telling the truth. And so what you are you as a viewer are seeing is different people's interpretation of events or different people's viewpoints. And one of the things that Farscape does really really well is I think that as a show it acknowledges that people are human and that these aliens aren't perfect and nobody on Farscape is perfect. So what you realize by the end of the episode is that everybody has been lying to protect each other, which makes sense. But at the same time, I think a lot of TV shows, you tend to believe that people are 100% truthful all of the time and that they never lie. And that's Mm -hmm. kind of, and that's what I really love here is that, so you're not only seeing everybody lying to protect each other, but you're also seeing how they interpret an event. And so it, it shows the differences in their personalities and what they choose to emphasize. And you can really see some things that we on the podcast have mentioned before, uh, most especially Zan's technique of trying to build trust and trying to make people like her as a way of controlling. And then you also see John's, I can talk my way out of any situation, come back again. And it's really good. And you get to see Aaron as kind of the most calculating of the of everybody 
Yeah. And then there's a final scene that we'll obviously talk about, but where you realize that John and Aaron figured out what really happened. Mm -hmm. And they bring the others along to that conclusion with them. And so it's like, oh, and it kind of crystallizes that fact that you're talking about that. Oh, yeah, they really were lying when they were talking to these people, even though they're presenting it as the truth. Yeah. Yeah, it's really interesting episode. And I just enjoy so much about this episode. I knew it was good. I I remember liking it. Mm -hmm. I think that as a younger viewer, though, you just don't appreciate it as much as I do as an adult. And also, I think that now that I've seen more television, and now that Mm -hmm. like this trope has become like a little bit, not like tired, but you know, it, it has become something that pretty much every television show has at least one episode like this. Yeah, and, totally. And I think that this is one of the best because it does acknowledge people are human and it acknowledges that these differences, while they are differences in viewpoints, and we'll talk more about that, it also is people lying to protect their friends and the lies they choose to tell. And, yeah. And it, I don't know, it just, and the <laughs> acting, oh my God, if you have not seen this episode, I'm commanding you, stop <laughs> listening to our podcast right this second, go and watch it because it is amazing. And if you're really stuck on how to get your hands on the episode, you know, we can talk about that. So yeah. Drop us a note. <laughs> but it's, uh, okay, because Lonnie Tupu, and we'll talk about this, but in every single different version of the story, he is portrayed a different way. And you can see him internalizing the view that the person has of Crace as a person. And his acting is just different in every single retell. And yeah, I mean, the other actors do it too. But I think that with him, it's the most it's the most obvious almost because everybody does have just a slightly different viewpoint of him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he d- he does a really excellent job with this episode. Oh, fabulous. And I mean, and everybody else is really, really good too. But he was one that I really wanted to give a shout out to because when I was watching, I was just blown away that it was like Crace, but it was like a very, I don't know, different version of Crace. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, well, let's get started. I'm going to start with Erin kind of setting the scene. She's the first one who's interrogated by the Placovians. Placavians. Placavians. Okay. <laughs> See, I'm doing it too now. <laughs> we get another callback to, to John mispronouncing all the alien names. So she is the first one interrogated by the Placavians when they are captured. And so I'm going to just her interaction with them to kind of set the stage for this race that they are dealing with. I've told you, no one is responsible. Someone is. You destroyed a Placavian vessel. You say Talon is a living ship. Is Talon responsible? There is no way that Talon could have fired that cannon on his own. His manual overrides were engaged. Then one of you must have fired it. The one who fled on Talon. Kreis. Uh, could he have done it? He was nowhere near the weapons console. We don't believe you. Are you protecting him? No. Look, if I wanted to lie, it would be easy to blame it on Crace, wouldn't it? After all, he and Talon fled, did they not? If they hadn't, would it make a difference to your story? No. You're lying. You don't want to see either of them dispersed. Look, I am not lying, and I don't want to see anyone 
dispersed. Not even the guilty party. There is no guilty party. I'm telling you, it must have been an accident. Ridiculous! So you hear the voices of the Placavians, and at first they are... Aaron is set up in this interrogation room, which is this big cavernous hall. There's water on the floor. She's on like kind of sitting on a pole on a chair that has stirrups with it. So she's leaning back and there's like a light shining in her face. And the Blackavians are these shadowy figures in the distance. So they have a really weird ship is what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. And she's very calm through it all. And I think you really see her peacekeeper training of interrogation. She doesn't feel threatened by them or she doesn't give the impression that she is threatened by them. She's very calm. She's explaining. She's just keeps her cool about her and her stance is it was an accident the weapons were on manual override and no one was standing near the weapons console when it happened so it was an accident she doesn't know who did it and that's her story Mm -hmm. the other thing i wanted to point out with this intro is you know they're coming at her with all these little angles of did talon do it did crace do it are you protecting them etc 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 and you know, the first thing that went through my mind, and maybe this is because I've seen it before, but it's like, of course she's protecting Talon. Mm-hmm. Like, she has a very strong bond with this young ship. And Crace has come to Moya and Moya's crew, and Aaron in particular, to help with this problem he has. It's like that whole joint custody things we were talking about with Mind the Baby. Mm-hmm. Yes, Crace won the custody battle, but these people are still important to Talon, and so he needs their help in this situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think the setup of this really reminded me of Dream a Little Dream because the Placavians are kind of coming at this from the perspective of there is one truth, we are going to get it. And it kind of reminded me of that judgment system where there is one truth. And so it really it really reminded me of that where it's a courtroom situation, except mm-hmm. in this case, instead of them trying to save Zan, we aren't sure as viewers yet what actually happened and who they're trying to save. So we kind of, for much of this episode, you have to really read between the lines and you have to kind of see what each story tells differently than the other to try and figure out who's doing what and who's protecting who. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I would got to say, they, I think the episode of the writers did a really good job of not making it super obvious who did it. Like there's several candidates and then, you know, it was an accident. And then when the reveal happens at the end, it's very satisfying, I thought. Yeah, I think that the ending really, really works. And we'll get into that. But it works for me like on so many levels. So let's actually hear a clip from Aaron's testimony. (laughs) Yeah, Aaron has a very down-to-earth telling. Who are the Placadians? They are a race who build powerful and dangerous weapons. Yes. However, what I want is a simple dampening net. Peacekeeper lies. This has to be a trap to get more dangerous weapons aboard Talon. Hear him out, Dargo. Leave Dargo alone. He has a point. If Chris is right about this dampening net being non-lethal, then maybe it's a good thing for Talon. Exactly. We would need to supervise the installation, of course. Certainly. I see a potential difficulty here. What if Talon doesn't want us frelling with his weaponry? He will if I say it's okay. I need your help. And Moyers to convince Talon to accept the modifications. I will not be a party to this. Yeah, I have a problem. I mean, come here, what do we know about these placaboids? It's Placavians, John, and how much do we really need to know? It's a simple transaction. One that benefits Talon. I'm not sure I agree. I'm going to have to think about this and perhaps even meditate on the subject. Enough thinking! 
If we really want to help Talon, then we should kill Grace! I am up no, with that. That doesn't help anything. Ah. Uh, so. Alright, who do you want to start with? Let's start with... Okay, I'm going to do the easy one first. So let's okay. start with the fact that that Aaron still apparently thinks that Zan is like this wishy-washy, <laughs> know-nothing person. Because Zan's entire contribution is like, well, now I don't know who to believe. I'm going to meditate on this. <laughs> and Aaron rolls her eyes, too. Yeah, you can literally feel the disdain that Aaron has. <laughs> for Zan's decision-making process. Yeah, yeah. So after Zan, so I was, one of the things that changes between is who explains who the Plakovians, Plakovians, I'm doing it too, who explains who the Plakavians are. In this case, Zan asks Stark who answers. And then we have Dargo and John's contribution. To me, John sounds the most like he does usually in the show, like as when we're just seeing him as John being John, mm -hmm. his the words he chooses are maybe a little bit not always like I know there's a problem, you know, mm -hmm. maybe a little bit more into Aaron's vocabulary, but the way he talks is very reminiscent of how he actually acts on the show. And then you have Dargo being just angry and being very very much on display with his anger. And after the clip we show, he actually attacks Crace physically, mm -hmm. and so that's Aaron's perspective. And meanwhile, Aaron is giving Crace the benefit of the doubt she is willing to listen to him but still wants to maintain control like she's the one who suggests hey we need to supervise this installation we're not just going to trust you outright yeah and i think that the other thing that's interesting there is that crace does seem super super reasonable and it actually did remind me a lot of the crace that we saw before he took talon the kind of crace that was back to his you know pk military self in fact he's a lot more patient than he was mm -hmm. even in canon. And I think that maybe that's Aaron's perspective. And one of the things that John calls her on later is kind of, does she still retain some sympathy for Grace? Because mm -hmm. even though she had that violent interaction with him in n Hidden Memory, I think there is a part of her that clearly still wants to defend him a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, and I think you see that also in that here, in this version, Crace is asking for help very explicitly. He says, I need your help. And he is being a cooperative, mm -hmm. essentially, and acknowledging that he needs their help. Yeah, exactly. I think that Aaron's perspective on Dargo is interesting. Do you think that she actually sees him as that violent? Or do you think that she was just trying to make it seem as real as possible? That's a good question. I think she sees Dargo's temper as very explosive. So I could see that being, you know, Dargo loses his mind at everything. And that's just something he does and something she deals with on a regular basis. So I feel like as a person who is a warrior and who's very attuned to the physical presence of others because she might have to fight them, that, yeah, that could be fairly realistic that, yeah, Dargo is someone you want to watch out for because he might go grab you by the throat and try and choke you mm -hmm. and one thing that we didn't talk about last week in the locket was why stark was there in the first place he has information on on dargo's son jothy who's going to be sold as a slave in a market that's going to happen in a few days or a few weeks and dargo's response to that in the locket at the end of the episode is to to attack stark 
and to physically assault him and say, why didn't you tell me this earlier? Like Stark just found out Dargo and that's what Zan uses to talk him down. So yeah, I, I feel like Aaron's read of Dargo is not wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It might not have happened exactly like that, but her read of him isn't wrong. And uh, we can talk a lot more about Dargo and Starks in either of their clips, but yeah, yeah I do have some questions about their relationship. So yeah. the next person interrogated is Zan. And so let's play her clip because I can <laughs> see why they put Aaron's back to back with Zan. Disarm talent. Not entirely. We still need to defend ourselves, of course. I merely wish to make his armament non-lethal by trading his main cannon for a dampening net which will incapacitate hostile vessels. Where will you obtain a dampening net? From a Placavian arms dealer. Placavians? Oh, I've heard of them. Quite far advanced technologically. Strong believers in truth and justice. So you wish to trade Talon's main cannon with these Placavians in exchange for a dampening net? Precisely. Given that Talon's circuitry has been prone to malfunction lately, Equipping him with a non-lethal weapon would seem to me to be in everyone's best interests. Except I don't trust you. John, it pains me to realize you still haven't forgiven me for my past misdeeds. However, you can supervise the installation yourself. You'll need our help and Moyers if you want to sedate Talon for the modifications. Oh, wow, that, I, I hadn't thought about that. Talon might not want to give his cannon, right? Talon was designed by peacekeepers. Peacekeepers never give up their weapons. But it's in his best interest, so we should let Grace do it. Yeah, I guess we should. Sounds very reasonable to me. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my oh my god, Zan. Zan. So there's two things that pop out immediately of Zan's take on it. Is First, in this instance, she's the one who explains who the Plakovians are when Stark asks instead of the other way around as it was in Aaron's and Zan's response is, Oh, I've heard of them. They're wonderful people. Lovely children. Yeah. <laughs> Advanced technologically. Very interested in truth and justice, which just strikes me as her just like, Oh, you guys are great. I really love you. Don't hurt us. <laughs> yeah. It definitely reminds me so much of her interaction with the Hologians where mm-hmm. it's kind of her, working within the system and in this case the system is i am being interrogated the best way for me to survive this interrogation is to you know be really friendly and the hilarious thing is that later on when the ship shows up stark is like stark is like oh and stark and zan both look at it and they're like oh it's so well armed it's so beautiful what a great ship and i'm like come on zan (laughs) Yeah. And the other thing that I actually didn't notice till I just played the clip right now is in part of Grace's very, very fast spoken and very soft spoken conciliatory explanation is like, since Talon's systems have been misbehaving lately as if, or, you know, as if they've been malfunctioning, and that could also be a problem. It's not that Talon's aggressive or Talon's been, you know, doing things he shouldn't be because he's afraid or Crace is mishandling him. It was like systems malfunction is the reason that they need the new cannon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that what's what's interesting is, so it goes from Aaron. Aaron is like, it was something weird that happened. No, <laughs> there's no explanation. You know, it was a mistake, but it was nobody's fault. And then Zan is like, well, clearly it was a system malfunction because they can't, yeah. they know they're being listened to in their cell, which is like this floating disc in space. Um, John calls it a hubcap. Yeah. It's great. <laughs> floating hubcap <laughs> in space. And so they know they're being listened to. So they have no way of making sure that their story is the same. 
but then you have the first two characters of Aaron realizing she needs to protect Talon and Zan wanting to protect everybody. And so Zan Mm -hmm. is kind of really quick on the uptake. And she realizes that, well, Aaron wouldn't have sold them out. I think that, which is an interesting read on her part, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And so the other characters in Zan's telling that are funny is John, who just is like, oh, I didn't think of that and agreeing with everything that Zan says. Well, everything anybody says, because then later on... Anybody says, yes, right. He agrees with what everybody says, because later on, when the when the Placavians pl- 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 um, are like, so everybody was okay with this decision? <laughs> and Zan's like, well, maybe not everybody. And then she's like, yeah. Dargo's prone to hyper rage. And then as soon as Dargo is like, I disagree with this. And then Zan... John is like, oh, yeah, that's a good point, Dargo. And so, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I just don't understand her read of John here. Like, either she's so into the lie that she wants to make sure nobody stands out, that everybody just sounds like super milk, mm-hmm. you know, milk toast, or yeah, that she actually does see John as that wishy-washy. Yeah. I don't know how she actually sees them in that case but I I feel like for Zan it's more about flying under the radar and it's like oh well you're gonna make me pick someone out to be angry well Dargo is a little angry but in the retelling Dargo is still really mellow and like Mm -hmm. it's like I don't agree with that but then he doesn't he doesn't do what he does in Aaron's version which is lash out or physically or verbally you know he just says it kind of plain voice it's like it's he doesn't even raise his voice to do it Mm -hmm. it's good and Let's see what else was going on there that was I think that the other thing you have you're going to notice if you when you're rewatching because go back and rewatch this I will not say it again because it's so good. <laughs> but another thing you should notice is that the camera angles on everybody's retell are just slightly different. It's not like they stuck a camera, did eight takes, you know, for all the different retells and then like made a go of it. It was, you know, the camera angles are different on each one and I think it has to do with actually everybody's perspective i think you're really Mm -hmm. supposed to interpret that as people are standing in different locations so they will see things differently yeah and they're not even saying standing in the same location for each retelling either which is part of the part of the mystery is like who is standing near the weapons console and they're physically just not in the same places yeah and we should mention that in aaron's retell stark reaches for the weapons console to say we should put up the shield or mm-hmm. something. I think it's like put up yeah. a defense put, no, screen. No, put up a, a defense screen, which is essentially a shield. Yeah. And he reaches to push a button, but Aaron, in her retail, pushes his hand away before he can touch it. Yeah. Yeah. And in Zan's retelling, I think no one's near it, right? No one's near it. No one touches it. No one does anything. It was just a, yeah. it was just a glitch. Yeah. So the third person to get taken away is Stark, right? Mm-hmm. It's Starks. And yeah. you have to remember in Stark's retail, he was imprisoned by the peacekeepers for a very, very long time. And he is a Bannock slave that has been enslaved by the peacekeepers for a very, very long time. Yep. Here is a portion of Stark's retelling. You must help me. Talon is refusing to permit any modifications. Good for Talon. Evidently, your control over him isn't as absolute as you thought. John. Give me the word, and I'll break his neck. 
You don't dare. Talon will be lost without my guidance. He needs a captain, he chose me. Well, perhaps we should override that choice. I have not misused Talon's power. I've only fired his cannons in self-defense. As you did with the Holosians. They attacked us. I spared their lives. I'm not a killer. I don't care what you say. We're not going to help you. You'll regret this. I assure you. Cavians are here. Grace, your ship is still active. Never mind. Our deal is cancelled. I cannot permit that. The contract stands. Not what the others told us. So, Stark's version has Grace committing the murder very deliberately. And, like, once the crew's like, well, we're not going to help you very aggressively like dargo's ready to break his neck and john is like yeah we don't trust you we're not going to help you grace turns around and murders the placavians and that's stark's story and i just want to point out just as a kind of a technical note the clips that i'm pulling sometimes you'll hear different parts of the conversation but parts of them do come up in many of them that we're not playing like the halosians being used as a point of defense of Grace, who said, hey, we didn't kill them, mm-hmm. or Zan pointing out that they didn't kill them. That does appear in the other ones. You just won't hear it in all of the clips that we're playing on the show, on this podcast. Mm-hmm. So again, as as Kay says, go watch the episode. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the things I find interesting there is that in Stark's retell, everybody is so much more aggressive towards Grace. And mm-hmm. I think that a couple of things are going on there. I think the first is that in Stark's retell, he wants to make it very, very clear, Crace is at fault. Nobody else. It was just Crace. Go ahead and go find Crace. But at the same time, I think that I think that his view on the other's interaction with Crace is also really interesting to me because we know that Crace came aboard Moya after the um, Bone episode, after the Bone to Be Wild, Bone to Be Wild. And we also know that that was after Stark had left. So I don't think Stark has ever actually seen everybody as a whole interact with Grace. So I think that maybe where Aaron and Zan were kind of seeing some people act more sympathetically to towards Grace, from an outsider's point of view, it would seem that everybody was acting like they hated Grace. But from an insider's point of view, even Aaron's very, very, very slight softening towards Grace made it seem like she was almost on Crace's side. Mm-hmm. Whereas from an outsider, it would seem like everybody was like, oh, Crace, we hate you. Go away. You're, you're stupid poopy head. <laughs> yes, that's exactly how they, they call him. Yeah, I like that. The other thing I think about that interpretation is it's not just he hasn't seen them with him, but he also wants to make it clear that everyone else thought it was Crace too. You know, mm-hmm. like everyone was against Grace. Everyone knew that Grace was the one who did it. So therefore, you should definitely believe me when I say that Grace did it. Grace's voice in this interpretation, too, is also very telling because he's very aggressive. He's like, no, Talon made me captain. I'm his only captain. You can't change that. At the very implication that Aaron, through Stark's retelling, says that she should be captain. You also have Grace just behaving in a way that makes him more likely to be the aggressor because he's clearly aggressive throughout this whole encounter, according to Stark. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so like, 
like I said, Lonnie Tupa's acting is amazing because like his voice in Aaron's is commanding, military, crisp, clear. And then in Zan's, it's like soft spoken, very mellow, very chill. And here again, we're back to like the crazy craze from like season one where, you know, he's, mm-hmm. you know, fine, you don't want to do what I want. I'm going to blow up this ship. Get off my ship. Go, you know, like, ah, I'm yeah. crazy, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's that's a good descriptor of it. Early season one craze when he's lo- losing it. So the next person interrogated Well, so we should clarify. So Stark comes back to the hubcap and essentially he tells them that he told them it was Krace and Dargo loses it. And Mm -hmm. we can talk a little bit more about Dargo and Stark's interaction in a bit, but let's listen to Dargo's testimony first. Krace only wants a dampening net. Dren, I think he wants to equip Talon with even deadlier weapons. You know what I think? I think you are right. Not at all. You can supervise the installation yourself. No! We must leave, now! You can't leave. I need your help and Moyers to sedate Talon for the modifications. We will not be a party to this. We must stop the Pokovians. They're evil. Their weapons have helped enslave many worlds, including mine. But this weapon will help Talon. I think I know how to help Talon. Why don't we break Grace's neck? I am down with that. Violence will not solve the problem. Indeed not. Killing me would harm Talon. He would be even more destructive without my guidance. You mean you control? I only control him to a point. I could help with that if you'd let me. He won't. He wants to keep Talon's powers for his own selfish purposes. Yeah. I have not misused Talon's power. I've only fired in self-defense. You may be right. We do know of Talon's encounter with the Halosians. He stopped Talon from destroying them. I love Dargo. Dargo is like the gang leader, and John is his like second who just repeats what he says or says, yeah, the whole way through. <laughs> yeah, Dargo, you're right. <laughs> and even like the even the the setting of it. In Dargo's, there's so many shots of everybody. Dargo in front, his arms crossed, him being the leader, and everybody else kind of fanned out behind him. And I think that's mm-hmm. really how he sees himself, which is hilarious. Because yeah. like we've said multiple times, everybody sees themselves as the captain of Moya. And Dargo Dargo especially sees himself, sees himself as the captain of Moya. And it really comes through here. And... We still have those same lines, like the Holosian line from Zan. And this time the control line, I think, comes from someone else that different from where it came from before. Like, no, you just want to control them. Dargo says it here. And you still have Aaron offering to be captain and things like that. By this point in the episode, you could really start to see the variations on who says what when. But the really distinct thing here is Stark, who Dargo is portraying as crazy himself. So he's the one who's like freaking out. It's like, no, you can't do that. We can't trust we can't trust Grace at all. Yeah, but Stark does kind of go off the deep end and he starts screaming yeah. about it and he starts screaming about the weapons, the weapons, which is interesting because in his own retell, Stark was also that viscerally against the Placavians. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's Dargo's retelling. And you know what? I really do think Dargo believes he is telling the truth in this one. Dargo, I don't think, is out to protect 
anyone really because he believes it is Stark. That is what he saw. And before this, on the hubcap in the prison area, there's been a lot of tension with with Stark in particular about who did it. And he said out right then that you know he's going to tell the truth of what, the actual truth and not what Stark thinks is the truth. And there's this really, this really, I, I want to say something other than tension, but but this rival, not really a rivalry, but anger. That's a good one. Anger with Stark about what happened because he thinks he really does believe Stark is at fault. Yeah. Well, and it it reminds me also that Dargo doesn't like to lie. And we have seen him lie a lot. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I think that this kind of goes back to who he is, where he's like, well, I'm not going to protect this crazy person who's not a member of our crew who did this terrible thing. Yeah. Because the the thing is, is like when the Placavian ship explodes, it like explodes and then there's like a body that splatters all over Talon's windshield. And so you're like, this was pretty gruesome in terms of deaths. And I don't know. Yeah, I... I think that my, I think that while it could be seen as him telling the truth, Dargo also has to know that that the other two, that Aaron and Zan both didn't didn't say it was Stark. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. But I think he's also angry enough that he doesn't care because the glare he gives everybody is not just Stark that he's glaring at when he goes in. You know, he's just kind of this gruff. Why don't you guys? say what happened which is clearly what i saw which that happened mm-hmm. why don't you guys tell what happened which is clearly what i saw happen it goes back to that like no in his retelling when john says yeah you're right we should break crace's neck mm-hmm. do you do you really understand darga's anger though because in the last episode he literally treats somebody who came a great distance to bring him information on his son and his immediate reaction is to strangle him and then here, his just anger at Stark seems really disproportionate. So I don't know. I'm I'm wondering if it makes sense to you, because in, in a lot of ways, it doesn't to me. I think Dargo is one being a dick. Like his, his anger is definitely not fair. It's not reasonable. It's not anything kind. And that is one of his shortcomings as a character that he has this kind of rage that will just lash out. But I do think his anger is coming from a place of helplessness. Like, he's missing his son. He wants to go rescue his son. He is trying to get there. The whole crew is going to ultimately get there. But he is being prevented from doing it first by, you know, start coming to him just before this auction is going to happen. And he's like, why didn't you come sooner? And that's, I think, misplaced rage, but it's still that whole, you could have done something about this, yet you didn't, even though it's not fair to Stark or reasonable to expect of Stark. And then you have this whole situation where they're imprisoned again, and they're being accused of murder, and he's angry at Stark, and this whole situation just amplifies it. So I think there's a lot of underlying stress that's going on with Dargo that is just manifesting and being targeted at Stark because he is an outsider to their group. Mm-hmm. Hmm. That's my hand wave. Yeah, no, I like that a lot better because my thing was just kind of like, I mean, did something happen off screen that I did not see that really made these two characters hate each other? You know, I don't know. I mean, that really made Dargo hate Stark because I mean, clearly Stark could have just not told Dargo about his son, you know? Yeah, right. 
I think it reminds me a lot of early season one Dargo, who is just angry at everything and every single provocation that comes along. Mm-hmm. And it's really easy for him to fall back into that pattern. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. So the Placavians throw back Dargo and they make this announcement, <laughs> which is your stories don't match. Unless somebody tells us the truth, we're going to kill you all. Which I'm like, good going, Dargo. <laughs> Round of applause. A <laughs> uh, I'm going to slow clap that one out. Yeah. So John is the last one. Yeah. And remember, John is a guy that thinks he can talk himself out of anything. So we, we get a little bit of analysis with John as he first is introduced to the interrogators. So this is before we go into John's version of events. This is him talking with the Placavians. Lord, tell us who the guilty one is, and we'll spare the others. Otherwise, we will commence the executions with you. There's just nothing new in the universe, is there? It's the same everywhere. Good cop, bad cop. You think we're bluffing? Nope. I don't think you give a damn about the truth. I think you're looking for a scapegoat. We want justice. All right, then listen up. Yes, we are lying. You say we're going to be executed at dawn. Is it some big surprise that we cover for one another? No, but it must stop. Okay, it stops here. I'll give it to you straight. I don't know what happened. Probably never will. Could have been Stark, could have been Grace, could have been any one of us. Best I can do is tell you what I saw. No coverings, no editorials, no axes to grind. Does that work for you? Go on. All right. We're good. Right up to the point where Chris tells us about the plot voids. <laughs> <laughs> oh, John, I love how you mangle alien names. It is delightful. Yeah, it's so good. And we're going to play a clip later that just makes it even better. But... um. <laughs> So I like John's here because this is him clearly being like, okay, I have to salvage the situation. And the only way to salvage it is to make them believe that I'm the one that's going to tell them the truth. So they're going to believe mm-hmm. my version over anybody else's. Yeah. And we should add here the preface to that conversation was John starting to get into his testimony while he's sitting in the chair. And then everything he says is immediately contradicted by one of the other's testimony that is played on his face. Mm-hmm. It's awesome little film thing. It's like you see the other, like a projection of Aaron's face and Zan's face and Stark's face onto John's skin. And it's really kind of cool. So that's where the, you know, the whole different differing perspectives things comes in. And so that's where he's like, okay, the whole perspective thing, you don't get that. So here we go, trying it one more time. Mm -hmm. Well, because he actually questions them. He's like, he's like, come on, there isn't one version of the truth. He's like, if you get 10 Placavians in a room and, uh, you know, and they all see a fender bender, are they all going to tell you the same story? And they're like, yeah. (laughs) And John's like, you are from a weird planet. (laughs) Yeah, right. So funny. And yeah. I think that John's version, we're not really going to play it because it is really rehashing a lot of the old testimony. John's testimony is is really a mix of kind of 
errands and maybe a little bit of Dargo's because it has everything being kind of reasonable. In his version, Crace is also like pretty reasonable about asking for help. Yeah, it seems a lot like Aaron's version in that regard. And then, but then at the end, Stark goes kind of crazy and they're both fighting over the control over the weapons panel. And in John's version, John slap turns off the weapons panel and then Stark presses the big red button. So Dargo potentially did see Stark hitting the button. Yeah. And so it's interesting to me because we as viewers are kind of predisposed to see John as like our truth teller because he is our point of view character and because he is the main character of Farscape. But at the same time, as as like an analyzer, I can't help but wonder what if John is also lying about how this mm-hmm. all went down, you know? Yeah. And one thing I thought was interesting about the character portrayal of all the others, again, his like Aaron's seemed to be the most in line with what we see normally on the show. Like Dargo does get upset and starts yelling, but he, unlike Aaron's version, he doesn't attack right away. Zan goes through her spiel about the Helosians in a tone of voice and a mannerism that we usually see with Zan. What I did find interesting, though, was John himself is actually very quiet. Mm-hmm. Like he lets the others provide the commentary and then only provides a few things on his own, not really in support or denial of the others. But he just struck me as much quieter than I normally would think of John as. Mm-hmm. Which makes you wonder, does he really see himself as kind of like as that person, as the person that steps back and then adds something when somebody needs to make a decision? Whereas we as viewers know him to be much more <laughs> of like a get in the mix right away, maybe not make yeah. the correct decision right away. Yeah, that's true. And then I guess the other part of it is it felt very contemplative to me. Mm. Like you could see the wheels turning in John Crichton's head and Ben Browder's acting with it of like he's thinking this situation through very very carefully and considering and trying to judge whether they should trust Crace or not and whether the other suggestions would help or hurt the situation. So maybe maybe it's an externalization of John's thinking combined with his thinking that he is calmer than he actually is. Because <laughs> I think that could be true too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's that's really true. I think that what I really liked here was that because the intro to his testimony is we are all lying as a viewer it made it really entertaining for me to imagine the possibility that john is also lying here yeah yeah i like that too so i want to play a quick clip from john's testimony we're not going to play a lot of it because like we said it is a little bit of a rehashing of both aaron and dargos but we you have to remember the name of this species is placavian and if you remember the Tavlix, do you want to guess what John has been calling them this whole time? <laughs> and what he gets every single other character in his version to call them. Yeah. I have changed, Crichton. My only concern is for Talon's protection. Left unchecked, his aggressiveness will lead to disaster. The solution I propose... Like avoiding vessels here. This is wrong. We shouldn't deal with them. <laughs> so one of the things you'll notice there is that in John's retelling, Grace calls the Placavians the Placavoidians, <laughs> which is hilarious. 
Yeah, and a, a, earlier when when whoever it is in this version who asks who the placavoids are, it's oh the placavoids are this, the placavoids are that. It's really funny. <laughs> I love you, John. Oh, John. <laughs> uh, uh, so the resolution of this storyline is that the Placavians don't believe any of them, and they're like, "We're going to kill all of you," and they're back on the hubcap, and they're going to be dispersed. And there's a really quiet moment just before this when. When Stark is freaking out because Dargo has told everyone that he said Stark did it. And Stark is the one who is in their custody. And he thinks, oh, oh, I'm energy. I could survive this. And, every, and Aaron, the look Aaron gives him is so sad. And it's just like, she's like, are you, you're deluding yourself. And he's like, yeah, I'm deluding myself. Zan is also really worried about this. And in the end, Stark does give himself up and confess to it in order to save everyone else. And it's kind of heartbreaking, too, because he's so scared of it, and yet he does it anyway. Mm -hmm. And the framing of that scene is really nice, too, because it has, it's during John's testimony. So it has Aaron, Stark, and Zan sitting on one side of the hubcap, and Dargo is on the other side of the hubcap. And you really feel his ostracity. You really feel how ostracized he is here that the others were kind of like, hey, we were playing ball. We were doing, you Mm -hmm. know, we were lying to protect everybody and you were the one that had to go mess it up. And it feels it, it really puts Dargo in this uncomfortable position where you can tell he feels he's right and he feels he didn't do anything wrong. But the others are treating him like he did. Yeah. And he's digging his heels in and. And then when Stark sacrifices himself and he is, he goes and stands in the metal thing, cage thing, tran elevator thing in the center and gets dispersed, whatever that means for values of how you kill people in Farscape universe. Just remember that he gets dispersed. And in the tag, one of the tags of the episode a little bit later, and you'll hear it in the next quote we play, you know, Dargo feels really horrendously guilty about it too. Mm-hmm. Well, so let's actually just play that quote because <laughs> okay. the Placavians don't keep them very long. Pretty much after Stark just gets dispersed, we immediately see everybody back on their ship. And this is one of those times when I think that we're so used to villains that are just like nefarious and like super evil that like it's neat to see villains that are literally just like, no, they were just out for truth and justice. They killed the person that they were pretty sure did it. And then they let everybody else go because they're not evil. Right. They are not evil. They are, they wanted justice and retribution. So they're on the transport pod, Dargo, Zan, Aaron, and John. And this is the conversation that they have. I misjudged Stark. I thought he was trying to save himself, but he was really trying to save us all. He shouldn't have died for his crime. What crime? Stark committed no crime. I saw him fire the cannon. So did I. You saw him press the fire button. I had shut down the weapons console so he couldn't fire. Did you know what else would happen when you neutralized the controls? I knew that shutting down the weapons console would kill the manual override, yeah. You return control of the weapons to Talon. Why would Talon fire? When Talon scanned the arms dealer's cargo, he asked Moya what it was. She realized it was Novotrin gas, one of the six forbidden cargos no Leviathan may carry. Moya clued him in. 
and Talon destroyed that ship. He thought he was protecting Moya. I love, love that reveal. There are so many things going on. We have Dargo admitting, yes, he really did think it was Stark. We have Zan saying that she thought it was Stark too, but she lied to protect him. And we have John and Aaron who are like, no, Stark didn't do it. You know why? Because John turned off the console. And Aaron making sure John knew what was going on. And yes, John did know what was going on, which meant turning off the weapons console turned the control back to Talon. And Talon fired the shot. I just love that. Oh, it's so good. And so, I mean, Stark, ironically, is right that <laughs> that some of them were lying just to protect Talon because they love Talon. Yeah. But, yeah, it's such a good reveal because it does – It I think it makes Dargo's testimony a lot more sympathetic now that yeah. we know what t- was the truth, that Dargo's testimony becomes more sympathetic. Zan's becomes more calculated. Aaron and John's is pretty much the same as we thought, where they were making the best of a bad situation. Yeah. Good. Uh, It's so good. I love it how it gives agency to Talon, too. You know, he's not just a a ship or a vessel or a horse or whatever. It's like Moya has become her own character. Talon is really becoming his own character, too. I mean, what you get through seeing this over and over again is, you know, Kray saying Talon is too aggressive. I can't keep him from killing people. I want to keep him from killing people. He's taking his role as Talon's custodian very seriously, and he wants what's best for him. He doesn't want to cause problems. He doesn't want Talon to be killing people willy-nilly. I just love the depth that gives this young ship who is a violent ship and you see that come out, but yet it's not violence for violence sake. He's trying to protect himself. He's trying to protect Moya, his mother. And it's just uh, so much sympathy for him at the same time as you're kind of like, oh no, what's going on? What path is Talon walking and being worried about it mm-hmm. for a ship we don't even see that often? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it does, because I think where we left it was that Talon chose Krace over Moya. And this is a good way of him kind of being allowed to choose both mm-hmm. in a way that I think the crew has kind of not allowed him to do. The crew has kind of seen it as he chose Krace over us, period, end of story. And it's kind of like, no, he chose both of them, but it was just a complicated situation for a baby. Yeah. pretty much it's like your five-year-old having to make all these hard decisions (laughs) yeah and then later on Dargo kind of takes that information that Stark didn't do it and that Dargo blamed him and then Stark got dead he kind of takes that news in a way that really reminded me of the Flax because Mm -hmm. in the Flax Dargo chooses to save his friends over getting maps and here we have him having chosen to give up Stark at the expense of his of Dargo's own honor almost, or at least that's how he sees mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Yeah, like Stark gave him something and Dargo was not appreciative of the gift that he actually gave and then the price he paid on top of that with his life. Mm-hmm. And so Dargo has a, a similar conversation with Chiana where essentially he's like, I did a really bad thing. How can I face my son? Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of Chiana, Chiana and Rigel are are sideline characters. They do have a few interesting and fun little bits where Moya is upset that Talon ran away. And so she wants to search for Talon instead of sticking around the Placavians ship. 
and Chiana's like, what, what is wrong with you, Moya? Do you want to play that one? Yeah, let's do it. Any sign of talent? Moya is completely wasting her time. Pilot, we really should head back now. Moya wants to keep looking. She's not looking, she's flying around in circles. We are following a spiral search pattern of my own devising, which maximizes the possibility that, that we we'll completely lose our bearings and never find our way back to the others. I'm doing as Moya wishes. Do not question us. <laughs> well done, Shana. You could have a fine career as a diplomat. Well, <laughs> you, Roger. Given your excellent way with words. <laughs> <laughs> I love Rigel there. Oh my gosh. He's just giving her him giving her crap. I love oh. that because we usually see them as so like buddy buddy. They're like I think they're best friends with each other. Like I don't think Rigel has a friend other than Chiata. So yeah. here it just really cracks me up that he's like giving her such crap for <laughs> for like having made <laughs> Pilot mad. And also we don't know this at the time, but when we realize that Talon did it on his own, it makes Moya's guilt make more sense to me mm-hmm. because she knows. Yeah, she knows. She knows that, you know, Talon did it to protect her or to, you know, because he thought he was protecting her. And so that I think that's also why Pilot is a little bit snappy here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's a really nice scene after this where Chiana goes to Pilot's den to apologize and say, hey, let's talk real here. And she's very, you know, it's another one of those instances of Chiana stepping up and and being the adult because all the adults are gone mm-hmm. and saying, hey, what are, what are the real odds here? Like, are we really going to find our, find him? Mm-hmm. And, and Pilot and Moya both agree that, okay, yeah, yeah, we can go back now. I love it that it's a spiral search pattern of Pilot's own design. <laughs> I don't know why that gives me such pleasure. It's like Pilot tried to try to like, show off that, hey, trust me, I know what I'm doing <laughs> kind of thing. I don't know. But yeah. Yeah. But I just, I also, again, I just like that Chiana and Rigel are the sort of friends that totally <laughs> rib each other when one does something ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that's the episode pretty much, right? Yeah, that's the episode. It was really, really good. Uh, So good. Yeah. What would you give it? I think I would give this one a five. I'll be honest. I think the acting, I think the acting takes it, takes it like all the way up to a five for me. Oh yeah. Yeah. I would go, I would go with a five also. It's so well done. It's so good. And as you said, it has so many layers to the Rashomon. It's not just different points of view. It's different intent behind it all. And it's just really, really well done. Mm -hmm. There are some shows I think that like, try to be more clever than they actually are and I think Farscape is one of the few shows that really it knows exactly how clever it is and it just makes episodes that are so well done mm-hmm. yeah speaking of other uh, Rashomon episodes though I am going to give a shout out to Leverages because they also do a really good Rashomon episode oh I love theirs oh the, god the Elliot alone <laughs> <laughs> and Sophie where he's like and Sophie, blah, 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 I don't talk like that <laughs> She's got like a Cockney accent and then in Parker's, she's just completely unintelligible. Is that what you all think I sound like? Oh my gosh. All right. (laughs) 
We Love Leverage also is a great show. We're going to give it a plug and watch their Rashomon episode if you like this one. It's really good. So here on Fireskip Friday, we were thinking about trying something new. If you have a voice memo about any upcoming episode or about one of the episodes we've already done, we'd love to tack it on at the end of ours so that we can hear from other perspectives on Farscape. So if you were interested in doing that, go ahead and send us a voice memo to Farscape Friday podcast at gmail.com and we'll put it at the end of our show and hear what other people think. Yep. And we are also at Tumblr and at Dreamwith at Farscape Friday Podcast if you want to get in touch with us through those sites. And we are on Twitter at Farscape Friday. We will see you next week with a clockwork Nabai. <gasps> oh my gosh, is that next? Yeah, that's next. Oh god, I know, right? <laughs> so excited. So good. Oh man. Okay, yeah. So uh, and I, I even knew that because when I was looking at my DVDs, I was like, oh, yeah, Clockwork Navari is next. But oh, I, oh, I love Clockwork Navari. Okay. <laughs> so you definitely have to listen to next week because we're really excited about this one. <laughs> we'll see you next week, everybody. Bye bye. Bye.